Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Thursday, September 21st. Going to get into uh, college football uh, later on in the show, like we always do, give our predictions for the week ahead. Great interview with Mike Cairns coming up. We talk all things Tampa Bay sports with him, Baker Mayfield's resurgence with the Bucks, the Rays heading into October, playoff baseball is here, and we even talk Lightning, uh, NHL, right on the corner as well as we head into preseason starting early next week. But guys, let's get into Monday Night Football first, give a little bit of a, of a recap of Monday Night Football. We were right. Not the greatest of games between the two teams. Uh, Steelers-Browns, a snoozer. Panthers-Saints, also a snoozer of a game. Steelers' offense, really, really bad. Bryce Young, not looking like the guy that's you know expected to be the guy in Pan- uh, in um, Carolina. What other uh, takeaways do you guys have from Monday Night Football besides just being just two very, very snoozers of a game? Deshaun Watson is not living up to that $230 million guaranteed contract in Cleveland. He did not perform the best on Monday night. The Steelers defense with two takeaways, two turno- two touchdowns off of defensive turnovers against Deshaun Watson. He's not looking good for the Cleveland Browns and that might be that might go down so far as the one of the worst contracts in NFL history. Yeah, I got some uh, more to talk about with Bryce Young when it comes to the complaintives later, but that game might as well have not even happened because nobody paid any attention to it. It was a snooze fest. I actually think Brown-Steelers was actually kind of exciting because you had a couple of defensive turnovers that led to touchdowns. You had the tragedy of Nick Chubb getting hurt. You had a lot of things going on in that game, but – Yeah, there's no doubt the standout story of Monday Night Football is Deshaun Watson. He's not getting his happy ending this time. I mean, you're talking about a guy with a $230 million contract that through 16 games or whatever, he only has two more touchdown passes than he does turnovers. He had more face mask penalties, two, than touchdowns to his team, one. He had two touchdowns to the Pittsburgh Steelers, two. That's not a good night if you're Deshaun Watson. And we've seen enough, I think, at this point – He's not rusty anymore. Deshaun Watson's just flat out not very good. We have enough evidence. We've seen him struggle to get adjusted to that offense. And his job's only going to get more difficult now because their best offensive player, Nick Chubb, is not going to be out there. So Deshaun Watson's contract is looking worse by the day. And obviously, you got to hope that Nick Chubb, it's only a season-ending injury because, my gosh, like you heard the crowd reaction, the Steelers fans. You heard Joe Buck saying, yeah, we are not going to show this. Of course, so the rest of us went out on Twitter because we wanted to see how bad it was. Um, But, yeah, you just only hope it's a season-ending injury for Nick Chubb. But the big takeaway is Deshaun Watson not even close to being an elite quarterback. Browns are never going to find a quarterback. I'm pretty confident on that. They just always can never seem to find that quarterback that's going to lead them down to the playoffs to where they want to go to. I I, I mean, they're on like their – 15th quarterback over the past I don't even know how many years or so it's been ridiculous they're never gonna, I mean they thought Deshaun Watson was going to be the guy obviously it's not turning out to be the case doesn't look like that will be the case going forward uh Kenny Pickett how do you guys think he played I know he really struggled uh to get the ball in the end zone like you said Steelers only won this game because they had two defensive touchdowns last week one also didn't play the greatest 
played good in the preseason, but you know, like I said, didn't play good in uh, week one. What do you guys take away on Penny uh, Kenny Pickett so far? This is supposed to be his breakaway season, uh, you know, where he's really supposed to shine and kind of, you know, have a much better resurgence than he did, you know, in his rookie season. So what do you guys take away from Kenny Pickett so far after week two? The one play he made to George Pickens was a good throw all across the middle and Pickens took it all the way to the house for the touchdown. But besides that, he hasn't really he hasn't really been impressive. He hasn't really taken that second step as the quarterback of the Steelers and as a franchise quarterback in his second season. He and he played the preseason too. So some quarterbacks didn't play the preseason and they're off to a slow start. I think two things can be true. I think Kenny Pickett hasn't been particularly impressive through two games. You know, he's turned the ball over uh, four times. He's only had two touchdowns. Like that that's not very good, obviously. But his big issue is Matt Canada, his offensive coordinator, the most unimaginative play caller in the NFL. Steelers fans are booing the offense every time they go out there because Matt Canada loves to run the ball in second and 11. He loves to throw the ball in third and short. He puts his quarterback in the most unadvantageous positions possible, and he's wasting the talents that is Najee Harris right now. Matt Canada is the issue for this team more than Kenny Pickett. Now, Pickett can overcome that if he's really a great quarterback, and right now he's not doing that. But I put more of the emphasis on Matt Canada's play calling that's really hurting Kenny Pickett. I don't know how many quarterbacks would succeed in that offense right now. I don't know how I don't know how Matt Canada's still there. I know Steeler fans want him out desperately, not getting the job done. They're really upset by him. A lot of short plays. I, I know that's been the problem with Matt Canada for a long time, and that's been the complaint for Steelers fans for a long time is he doesn't really take deep shots, doesn't really take chances. Kenny Pickett has the arm to take chances, but he still likes to do these, uh, you know, five five yards short dips and dunks to, to the receivers and tight ends. Pittsburgh fans want to see a lot more aggression out of Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett has the ability to do that. We'll see if it happens uh, going forward here. Tonight's game, let's preview this real fast. Giants 49ers, 10.5 point favorites, uh, 49ers enter as. Anything over a touchdown and a field goal is significant point spread in NFL. Vegas yep. saying the Giants are not a good team. Uh, obviously, we know how their first two weeks turned out. 49ers are going to get up early in this game, and Giants will never be able to recoup. I'm going to say this is going to be about like 31-13. to 13. This is going to be a really, really bad game. Barkley still out with an ankle sprain. He's going to be out for another three weeks. Yeah, what do you guys th- – I mean, this is going to be a blowout, right? You think so, yeah, too? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't think this is going to be close. I think the Niners win. I think you could make the argument they're the best team in football. Right now, I think the two best teams, the two most impressive teams have been them and the Cowboys. And you look at the Giants, Saquon Barkley. I know Brian Dable's trying to do the, oh, he's a game-time decision. Stop. Saquon's not playing. And for the Giants' sake, you get an extra 10 days of rest after this. He should not play. Sacrifice this game if you have to. This will not be close. Yeah. It's not going to be a good game at all for the Giants. I think the Niners... Are de- are, they're going to blow them out, I think, at home with the defensive line. The Giants' offensive line has not been good to start the season, especially with Evan Neal considering him and considering all these all these picks that they got on the offensive line. And the Niners, they have a really good defensive line. They're at home, and I, I think this game is, is not going to be pretty at all. So congrats to the Giants because – Usually when we're all in agreement like this, it goes the other way. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> true. But, yeah, true. Let's move on to college, guys. Um, 
Closest game of the week, as we always do. We're going to do closest game, most intriguing storyline, upset alert, sh- uh, shootout of the week, and snoozer of the week. We're going to start with the closest game of the week. I'm going to go, I'm going to start us off first. Um, Ohio State, Notre Dame. That's my closest game of the week. Uh, Ohio State beat Notre Dame last year, 21 10. Notre Dame looking for revenge. Uh, Sam Hartman playing amazing. Sixth best QBR in the nation, of, uh, just under 90. Ohio State does have the best wide receiver duo in the country, though, Zach. I know you can kind of contest to this. Uh, mm-hmm. de- definitely, uh, it's going to be a really close game. Like I said, it's only a three-and-a-half-point favorite for Ohio State against Notre Dame this weekend. I I think that's very accurate. Like I, This game is going to be very close. Ohio State, uh, like I said, is the better team, but Notre Dame smells blood in the water. They want revenge from last year. What is your closest game? Uh, we'll start, Zach. We'll start with you. What? How about you? What do you think this closest? Yeah, game that was going to be my closest game. Obviously, I think. I mean, I think it's going to be more like a six-point game or something along those lines. I think it's one of those games that's competitive and maybe a garbage time touchdown or something like that. But I'll tell you, I think a game that could be really close is Ole Miss Alabama because I think this is Alabama's last stand as far as the regular season is concerned. They lose this game, they're done because two losses at the end of September, they got no chance to make a playoff. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Jackson Dart, Quinshot Junkins. This is a team that should have beaten Alabama a year ago. They've got former Alabama defensive coordinator Pete Golding coaching their defense now. So, obviously, Ole Miss's staff is very familiar with Nick Saban. And this is a desperate time for Alabama, but also a huge opportunity for Ole Miss. They could separate themselves as maybe the second-best team in the SEC behind Georgia if they win this game down in Tuscaloosa. Golden opportunity for the Rebels. If they're ever going to knock off Alabama, if Lane Kiffin's going to beat them, this is the time to do it. It's only a seven-point spread in favor of Alabama. I'm taking Ole Miss in the points, and I think they got a chance to win this game outright. Justin, how about you? Any closest game you uh, think this weekend? Close game? A close game to watch for me would be Arkansas and LSU, both 2-1 and one at LSU. LSU, not off to the best start, but they're at home against Arkansas. That, that, could, be a chance, that could be a very close game as well. Let's move on to the most most in, let's move on to most intriguing storylines. Oregon Washington or Oregon State Washington State. That's my most intriguing storyline. Preview of the new much smaller Pac-12 next year. It's 14 versus 21 in the rankings. Uh, both teams have kind of been struggling, or both teams have been very very good. Excuse me, offensively, kind of struggling defensively though. Uh, Oregon State two and a half point favorites. I'm definitely taking Washington State in this game, though. Washington State was one of the only 17 college football teams last year that had a better winning percentage on the road than they did at home. Uh, And, of course, Washington State is uh, at Oregon State this weekend. It's going to be, yeah, like I said, new look Pac-12. Washington State, Oregon State being one of the few teams that actually stayed with the Pac-12 after all this realignment that happened going on before the season started. It's gonna. We're gonna be seeing these teams play for a long time going forward if the Pac-12 doesn't end up staying around. So that's my most intriguing storyline of the week. Zach, how about you? Any uh, intriguing storylines? Yeah, yeah. most intriguing storyline to me is just the entire Ohio State Notre Dame game because whoever wins that game, I think it's a top five team, probably a top three team. You look at Ohio State. One of the biggest reasons they made the playoff last year, despite losing to Michigan, is because they beat Notre Dame out of conference. The cachet of that helped carry the day for them. And if they could do it again in South Bend, they could probably drop a game to Penn State or Michigan and still have a good chance to get back into the playoff. But in the case of Notre Dame, this is the biggest home game they've probably had since the Bush push game in 05. Because when we've looked at Notre Dame over the last 20 years or so, when have they ever gone into a big game with the quarterback advantage? Almost never. 
I think they go into this game with the quarterback advantage. They've got the home field. It's a prime time game. Things are setting up for Notre Dame to win this game. And if they do, then that's kind of a we're back, not that they're back, but if Notre Dame wins this game, they put themselves in a great position to make the playoff because Clemson's not the team we thought they were at the start of the year. And it really comes down to whether they can beat USC in a couple weeks. We've kind of been waiting for Notre Dame to beat an elite team for quite a while. This is the ultimate chance for them to do that. And in the case of Ohio State, they win this game in South Bend. They show that they're probably certainly a national championship contender. And, you know, even with a new quarterback and a new offensive line, it's just going to be the same old, same old at Ohio State. So that game's full of storylines, plus the fact Notre Dame hasn't beaten Ohio State since 1936, so before World War II started. So it's been a while in South Bend. Sam Hartman, yeah, I said it earlier, uh, over three games, uh, just under 1,100 passing yards, 13 touchdowns, and he has no turnover. Uh, like I said, 80, just under 90 QBR as well, which is the sixth best in the nation in college football. So, yep. yeah, like you said, Zach, first time Notre Dame might actually have a quarterback advantage heading into this matchup, and hopefully they can uh, come, away with the, come away with the victory at home. No, 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 hope not. No, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's right. I forgot your highest State <laughs> That's right. Justin, tricky storyline this weekend? Colorado going up against Oregon. This will be the first game, first two games of this stretch for Colorado against Oregon and USC, both top 10 ranked teams. This is going to be a test. This is going to be a test for Deion Sanders and Colorado. But if Colorado can win one of these next two games, take them seriously. First, you can take them seriously at 3-0, but if they beat Oregon or USC, this could be this could be an intriguing storyline here as Deion Sanders and his team at Colorado look to go four and zero. No, Travis Hunter is going to make that tough. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, that's actually my moving on. I'll move on to uh, well, actually, we'll we'll do up. That's actually my shootout of the week, but we'll move on to upset alert first. Um, I'm going to do Ole Miss and Alabama. Zach, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Alabama's doesn't really matter who they have as quarterback. I mean, they have Jalen Nero, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner. Neither one of those three have done anything for the Tide. Their off their offensive line's so bad too, so it doesn't even matter who they put in in quarterback. They're still going to struggle offensively. Um, Ole Miss is you know Lane Kiffin smells blood in the water. They they've had you know the Rebels obviously at a three and zero perfect three and zero of the season. Uh, Jackson Dart, awesome name for a quarterback. By the way, 852 yards, seven touchdowns, only one interception. He has the 11th best QBR in the nation. Uh, kind of similar to Notre Dame and uh, Ohio State. Uh, this might be one of the only times we've seen in the recent history where Ole Miss might actually have a better quarterback heading into this matchup than Alabama does. Like I said, Jackson Dart definitely playing better than any one of the three Alabama is going to put out on the field on Saturday. Definitely has This definitely has upset alert written all over it. Zach, like you said earlier, again, this is Alabama's kind of last two raw to kind of um, hold the line here for the regular season. Yep. If they lose this game, it's it's done for Alabama. Not only this season, but maybe even like their legacy going forward is going to be in jeopardy of you know people starting to talk. Yeah, Zach, I think their legacy will be fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see. If they've won enough titles, they'll be all right. Well, I meant like I meant like current. I get. I mean, I don't uh, know, like. Yeah. Just if, if if the runs over, you know, if their yeah, current yeah. runs over with saving. How yeah. about you, Zach? Do you have an upset alert though? Besides, this yeah, game? I'm going to College Station. I'm going to take Auburn. Mine are their underdogs by seven points against Texas A&M. I don't trust the Aggies as far as I can throw them. That offense has been 
fine this year, but their defense has really not been fine. And Jimbo Fisher has a tendency of losing these kind of games. You look at Hugh Freeze, his first year as Auburn's head coach. Say what you want about him off the field. He's one of the best offensive minds in the country. Peyton Thorne is a veteran quarterback. Auburn has looked really impressive in their first three games. Texas A&M stumbled a couple weeks ago against Miami. Seven and a half seems an awful lot to me. So I'm going to take Auburn to go on the road and pull off an upset against Texas A&M. Justin, how about you? Upset of the week? This Saturday, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to uh, Alabama and Old Miss. I th- I don't trust Alabama. I think Old Miss could go in. Could go into Tuscaloosa and win it. Alabama's just not impressive at quarterback at all. And Old Miss, they definitely have a lot to prove, being the 15th ranked team and being three and L. This could be an upset. This could be the upset of the week. Shootout of the week. Already took already told you my pick. Oregon, Colorado. Um, this is we talked to Brian Shabel last episode about uh, Shadir Sanders, Heisman possibilities. He's had, he's playing amazing so far this year. Uh, 20, uh, 12, 1,251 passing yards, ten TDs with only one interception. He's going up against Bo Nix, arguably you know an arguable um, Heisman candidate, maybe not so much now, but definitely start of the year. He was definitely in the conversation of a Heisman candidate. Um, this is he Shadir's gonna want to prove himself against Bo Nix. He's gonna prove he's gonna want to prove himself against Oregon. Defensive line has to show up for Colorado, though. Oregon has arguably the best running um, you know, back end in, in all of college right now. Noah Washington has been amazing for the Ducks. 210 total rushing yards uh, with 80 carries on Saturday alone, this Saturday alone. Uh, the Buffaloes are missing Travis Hunter, as we said. That's going to be definitely a knock against Colorado. Shadir is going to want to throw the ball a lot, though. Like I said, compete with Bo Nix and really just kind of um, uh, show him that, you know, they're meant to be in this conversation, not only as a team, but as an individual as well for Heisman possibility. So Shadir is going to come out, ball out against Bo Nix, and uh, he's going to, you know, really have a lot of motivation to kind of show the world what he can do uh, this Saturday. Oregon opens up a 21-point favorites. We saw what happened last time. Uh, Colorado was 21-point underdogs, and we'll see if they can have an upset again. Zach, how about you? Any uh, big shootout of the week? Yeah, like- that's mine too. It's Colorado and Oregon. You just look at Bo Nick, Shadur Sanders. You don't really need to say much more. You look at Oregon, and their three games this year, they've scored 81, 38, and 55 points. I mean, this offense is just explosive as all get out. They're going to make the duck tired because he has to do push-ups every time they score. He did like 400-something in their opener. That guy's in incredible physical shape right now, and he's going to continue to get in good shape because I think they're going to put up a lot of points against this Colorado defense that, you know, They've been sneaky bad. You know, they gave up 42 against TCU. Uh, they gave up 35 to Colorado State. Colorado State's not necessarily an offensive juggernaut. So, especially with Travis Hunter not being out there, I don't see any way they're going to be able to slow down Oregon. I also don't see how Oregon's going to slow down Colorado too much. And you look at that passing game combination, even without Travis Hunter being out there, and, yeah, that says some that Travis Hunter's that big of an impact on both sides of the ball. But I think Shadur Sanders has enough other weapons. They're going to be able to get the ball downfield. I don't see how this game doesn't combine for at least 80 to 90 points. I think this is going to be a shootout of the highest order, and that's the way that both these teams want to play this game. Justin, how about you? Any shootout of the week to look out for this Saturday? Look out for Memphis and Missouri. Both of the both of those teams play close games, and both of those teams look to have high powered offenses. Both are three and L, and I I think this is going to be a shoot. This is going to be a shootout game between Missouri and Memphis. 
Other end of the spectrum, snoozer of the week. I'm going to go with the Oklahoma Oklahoma versus Cincinnati game. No idea why big noon kickoff is in Cincinnati this week. Cincinnati has looked terrible. They barely beat Pitt. Lost embarrassingly to Miami of Ohio. Um, yeah, I just I don't know why this game is. I, I don't know why Fox is at this game. Um, Cincinnati. This is their biggest home. Like this is their biggest home underdog spread. Uh, of the decade, they open up against a 14-point deficit against number 16, Oklahoma. Like I said, haven't played well at all this year, and Oklahoma's just going to pretty much blow them out. I don't even know why Fox is here this weekend. Zach, snoozer of the week, how about you? What do you What do you think is going to be a pretty bad game this weekend? UAB, Georgia. You really need to say much more. Georgia's yeah. going to kill UAB, especially the way they played last week against South Carolina. They're not going to be happy about that. And when they play bad teams, they just suffocate them like a boa constrictor. UAB's one and two. This game is. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's a prime time game, to be honest with you. Justin, how about you, Sneezer? Snoozers would probably be Georgia and UAB and Florida hosting Charlotte as well. Mm-hmm. Those are snoozers to look out Another for. Another prime time game for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird slate this weekend for college football. That's for sure. Kind of oh, like it's that. an epic slate. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess so. You're right. Um, only other story. I mean, that was our college football kind of preview for the week. Only other storyline I really had that I want to really touch base on super quickly is Phil Mickelson <laughs> apparently in recovery for gambling. I guess he uh, openly admitted a gambling addiction, and now he's in recovery for this gambling addiction report came out. He never really lost money uh, with gambling. I mean, he had so many winnings on the PGA tour and then obviously the big paycheck he got from live golf, but he's still uh, going on the campaign trail, just really telling people the dangers of sports betting and how much money you can lose and how, you know, how your life could pretty much be ruined by it. Uh, what else? I mean, what else do you guys have from this? This is, I thought it was kind of an interesting story that, uh, he finally admitted to having a gambling addiction, which we pretty much knew from the start. But it's kind of funny that he came out publicly with it. Anything else you want to you want to add to this, guys? Phil Mickelson's a great gambler. He bet a billion dollars reportedly, and he only lost a mil. That tells me he's really good at it. So if you've got that kind of money, I mean, that's your own prerogative. But yeah, I guess if it's uh, if it became that much of a problem, good for him that he's in recovery. I don't know if it's going to stick because as with all. Or uh, you know dependencies and all that kind of stuff. You don't know if it's going to stay, but uh, especially during football season. But hopefully he's able to do that, and if he learns something from it, then good for him. <laughs> okay, guys, let's do complaintives of the week. Um, Zach, who is your complaintive of the week? People giving up on Bryce Young. Stop. It's two games. He's only played two games. Like if we're judging people this quickly, then nobody ever has a chance to succeed in the NFL. Yeah, he hasn't looked particularly great in two games. Yes, he's not going to get any taller, but we've seen short quarterbacks be successful before. Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback, barely six foot tall. Russell Wilson, very good quarterback for a long time. Last few years notwithstanding, barely six foot tall. It's been proven that you can be successful in this league, even if you're a short quarterback. And Bryce Young is a great thrower of the football. There's a reason he won the Heisman at Alabama. There's a reason that he's one of the great quarterbacks in the history of that proud program. Bryce Young is going to be fine. I don't know if he's going to be an elite quarterback ever. I don't know if he, I don't know how great he's going to be. But people that are saying he's a bust or he's not ready for it after two games, like give give the guy a chance. Like come on. 
I'm going to do Josh, my complaint of the week. Josh Angelos, CEO of Baltimore Orioles, did not extend the lease for Camden Yards. Uh, John Angelos still does not want to spend money on a team that's actually playing really well. I mean, we just had Valerie Preopter on a couple episodes ago talking about the Orioles, how well they're playing this year. In the playoffs, I think that, yeah, they, they clinched the playoffs this past week. And on Saturday, I think they clinched the playoffs. So they will be going to the playoffs this year. Good for the first time in a long time, the Orioles and the CEO, management staff, front office of the of the team, still does not want to spend money. Uh, renew the lease for Camden Yards. It's one of the most iconic ballparks in all of the MLB. Uh, that, that, that's my complaint of the week. I just I would love the Orioles to start spending some money. Uh, they put so much emphasis on the farm system and just – uh, drafting young players, which has been working well for them, obviously, uh, up to this point. But let's start to spend some money, uh, get some, you know, standout free agents, get some stars on that team, and let's see how far this team can go next year. Uh, and especially, especially extend the lease of Camden Yards. I, I definitely do not want to see that team have to move. Justin, who was your complaint of the week? My complaint of the week is those trying – those pumping up the rumors with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Can we just put those rumors aside? We have to, I mean, tra- now we have Taylor Swift stepping into the sports world unabruptly. Can we just put that aside? I know Travis Kelsey, I know it's Travis Kelsey, and I know they they were talking about it yesterday morning a little bit on WIP with Jason Kelsey's spot on the morning show, but... Let's just put it aside. Just another New York Post rumor. Yeah, Jason keeps trying to have because I don't think uh, Travis has actually admitted it yet. But Jason on the New Heights podcast that Jason and Kel, or Travis do, I know Jason like is continuously trying to have Travis uh, kind of spill the beans, admit spill it. the beans, admit it. Yeah, kind of like a 40, 40 and slip maybe. Yeah. Okay, guys. Like I said, uh, great interview with Mike. Mike Cairns coming up. Uh, he, we're going to talk some Tampa Bay with him. The Bucks off to an amazing start. Baker Mayfield resurgence, maybe. Uh, Tampa Bay off to the playoffs as we head into October here. Uh, like I said, great interview with him. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get that started right now. Mike Cairns from uh, Tampa Bay. Okay, we now head to Tampa Bay and talk to Mike Cairns, host of Spectrum Sports 360, part of Bay 9 News. Uh, in the state of Florida. You cover the whole state of Florida. Uh, we're going to focus mostly on Tampa Bay today, though, Mike. Uh, Buccaneers, 2-0, NFC South. Uh, Rays, obviously playing amazing right now as well. All, well on their way to the playoffs. Clinch the playoffs. Might even clinch their division. Let's start with the Bucks, though. Baker Mayfield playing very well, very well his first two games. 490 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Taking care of the ball very well. 65 uh, just under 65.5 QBR. That's the 10th best in the league out of all quarterbacks. Let me start with this question first. Is Baker Mayfield kind of finding a resurgence in Tampa Bay? I think he is, to be honest with you. And Baker's fought for everything his entire life, from all the way up from college. He was always the guy that had to beat out somebody to be the guy. Uh, when, he, when he got brought in as a free agent, this was a spot that he said, and he's told us a million times, that this is a spot that he kind of had circled as a place that he could really thought he'd fit in well uh, with the right offense and with the new offensive coordinator, Dave Canales. Those two have worked really well together through the first two games. And I think the key stat that you brought up is is zero turnovers. That is for the entire team, not only for Baker with, without the interceptions. But um, I think through the first two games, you know, I could pump the brakes a little bit, but um, you can only go by what they've done so far. And they beat the Vikings, which was a playoff team. 
last year and um, they beat a Bears team, which a lot of people thought would be better this year. But between what the defense has done and the start that Baker's off to, I think so far uh, he's looked super comfortable under the new offense with Dave Canales. And it looks like he uh, he might be here to stay. How much has his maturity played in everything? Back in Cleveland, you kind of already alluded to it. Back in Cleveland, he kind of, in college too, he was always kind of known as a loose cannon. Uh, had some, you know, a lot of people in the media kind of give him flack for for being like that. But ever since Tampa Bay, uh, he's really been show. I mean, even last year with the Panthers and in the Rams, he's really showed a lot of maturity. How much of that maturity kind of played into what he's doing in the locker room now in Tampa Bay? And has that had a big impact on what they've been able to do so far? Yeah, Jared, a lot, because it's tough to go from Tom Brady to anybody, right? Uh, in when they brought in Baker, Baker's always been that rah-rah guy. He's always been a guy. He's always a player's uh, guy. And he he uh, engraced himself immediately uh, to the guys on the team because he's that kind of guy. He's, he's a very personal guy. Uh, he hates to lose. He's super uber competitive. So he's one of those guys that uh, he's constantly going up and down the bench. You can see him in the games saying, hey, we need one more of this. We got to do this. We got to close out this. We got to do this. And then in the locker room, he's the leader. You know, it's it's his voice. And there are some other leaders in that locker room, guys like Levante David, who spent his entire career with the Bucs. Devin White has become a leader, too. He's a captain, uh, even though he's a young guy still in his career. But there, there are some guys that that have been with the Bucs a little bit. But Baker has become one of those voices um, that the veterans look to. And, and that's the kind of guy you need on a team like this because the Bucs are in a transition. Um, they're in the post-Tom Brady transition. You don't know which way this is going to go. But if you get a guy like Baker and he gets comfortable and he's playing well, and that's the key. When you play well, a lot of people are going to follow you. And so far, that's exactly what he's done. Do you think they'll make the playoffs this year? I mean, NFC South, already three teams undefeated, Saints, Falcons, and the Bucks. I don't think many people would have expected that, to be honest. Uh, unfortunate for the Bucks, though, that this is the year of the NFC South. I know it's still very early, but this is the year the NFC South decided to come out and play a little bit. Uh, what I mean, do you, what are the expectations of the fan base this year? Are, are we thinking making the playoffs, or is just even having a nice bounce back year uh, with Tom Brady gone? Is that is that a, a, you know a successful season in itself? Well, Jared, you know how fan bases are. They always think they're going to make the playoffs. They always think they're going to go all the way. They always think there's going to be a deep run. Uh, they don't. It doesn't matter who you plugged in. They're like, oh, this is the year we're doing it. And, oh my God, now they're two and zero. We're we're running the table. You're right. They, uh, the South did start out pretty strong this year. You got three teams that are sitting at two and zero in, in Carolina in the basement. But if you're Peter King, the Bucks are only supposed to win two games. That's what Sports Illustrated said. So um, Baker and the guys have already matched that win total. And I've seen the win totals anywhere from two to to six. Um, I was a little more optimistic, and, and here's the reason why: when you look at the schedule uh, and you look at let's let's just start in the division. Um, you've got a new quarterback in the Saints with Derek Carr. You've got a young quarterback in Desmond Ritter, and then you've got a rookie quarterback in Bryce Young. So right off the bat, Baker Makefield fits perfectly in that division because between him and Derek Carr, Derek Carr's much like Baker Mayfield, become kind of a little bit of a journeyman. Uh, he's been around uh, a little bit longer than Baker. I think he's on year 10, but uh, he's played with a few teams and he's trying to find his way as well. So the South has always been crazy. Um, a lot of the a lot of the teams that have won the South the last few years have won the division first, and that's obviously the big key. So I look at it this way: I bro- I, br- I was looking at the schedule, and I'm not a fan of the Bucks. I just cover them for a living. Obviously, I like to see them do well because that makes my job easier. But looking <laughs> at the schedule, uh, 
if you can go four and two in your division, then you look at your out of division games. And they, to me, the toughest games that they have, they got the 49ers, they got the Bills, they have the Eagles. Three tough games, right? You figure in that division, well, you know, okay, if they could come away with, if they go one and two uh, in those three games alone, then they got they got the Texans, the Titans, um, teams like that, that that they should beat. Uh, I, I see them. I, I could easily see them being a nine and eight team. I, I think that's a very realistic expectation. And then if there's a surprise along the way, there maybe they do play well and, and, and beat the Eagles at home on Monday night. Um, maybe they do steal one either from the Bills or the 49ers because you don't know how much injuries are going to play in down the road or who's even going to be quarterbacks, running backs. And if we've seen the first two weeks, you know, Saquon goes down in, in week two and poor Nick Chubb goes down as well. So you just don't know. Um, you're basing on what you're seeing right now. So nine wins is very realistic, and that is certainly enough to win this division. Uh, but if they win the division, if they can take – if they can split with the Saints, split with the Falcons – Sweep the Panthers, go four and two in the division. Um, I like their chances of winning nine or ten games. No question about that, barring what happens with injuries and, and things we can't predict. Mm-hmm. Let's expand on that a little bit. If if they beat the Eagles Monday night, what do you think the national perspective of the Bucks is going to change? Like, how do you think it's going to change? Uh, do you think they're going to be looked at a lot more? Favor. I mean, because right now I think people still are expecting the Bucks to kind of fan out a little bit. Um, you know, they played the Vikings, definitely a good team. Bears, not a good team. So I think there's still a lot of question marks with the Bucs, despite how Baker Mayfield is playing, despite how Evan or Mike Evans is playing. If they beat the Eagles, though, on Monday night, what I mean, what do you expect this national perspective to change with the Bucs? Do you think they're going to actually be taken a little way more seriously uh, if they come out with a win on Monday? Just kind of looking at the national power polls, uh, I think the Bucs started in the lower five or six of the league at the beginning of the year, they're already up into the top uh, 12, I think. They moved up eight. I saw in the, the latest national rankings um, um, that they're up to, I think they're 12 or 13 or something like that. I think they started somewhere around 25, to be honest with you. Um, so if, if if that's where they've risen after two weeks after the teams you just said, Vikings, yes, are a good team. I just think they're off to a tough start. Um, and they beat them at home. So I think road wins always factor in much bigger than than home wins, depending on who you beat at home. But still, uh, you should win at home. Um, and they beat the Bears, not a good team. Uh, now you got the Eagles. But here's the thing with the Eagles that's weird. Uh, the Eagles aren't off to a good start. Uh, they have one of the worst pass defenses in the league. And the reason for that, Bradbury's been hurt. Um, they have Darius Slay. They have the Slaymaker still. But the problem is the injuries on defense have really hurt Philadelphia. And that's one of the strongest parts of this Bucks offense. You've got two 1,000-yard receivers uh, in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Evans off to a phenomenal start. Uh, Baker's playing turnover free, and he's at home. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm not predicting upset, but I'm telling you, I really like the Bucks' chances uh, to win this football game because the Eagles did not look good against the Patriots. Did not never put Mac Jones in the Patriots. So they actually, Patriots had a chance to win that game uh, late, and then even last week. So this is a team that it, it was in the Super Bowl last year. Uh, Jalen Hurts hasn't looked all that great. And, and so maybe you're catching them at the right time. The Bucks are kind of on the upswing. The Eagles are kind of just leveling out. Uh, and to answer your question, if they win this game, of course the national pundits are going to go nuts. Like, oh, my God, man, they beat a team that was in the Super Bowl last year. They're 3-0. and When Maybe we need to uh, reevaluate what this team does. 
but I, I definitely think they'll be, I think they'll definitely draw the attention of the national pundits if they can win this game. And, and based on what the Eagles have done, I think the Eagles have been up like over like 329 yards a game through the air. And that's unheard of for that team. I mean, they were, they're always good against a run, but I, I, that's where I think the Bucks can really attack them uh, on Monday night. Yeah, five-point spread right now, I think it is, on Monday night for the Monday night game. But like you said, they are playing at home, and Philadelphia's offense has not looked good either. They're, you know, like you said, their defense is allowing a lot of passing plays. Baker Mayfield, I think, is going to really, really capitalize on that. Let's talk about the running game for the Bucks, though. It For just kind of outside looking in, it seems like Rashard White is taking almost majority of the snaps at running back. Are you kind of concerned about the lack of depth? in the running back room uh, for the Bucks, Jared, I was at the beginning of the year, too. I mean, I, I obviously, uh, you know, I'm sure like like you, you play a lot of fantasy football. He was actually one of my my late pick steals to add to my running back room on my fantasy teams because I knew he was going to be the bell cow this year. Uh, and, you know, there were some hints last year before they um, didn't renew Leonard Fournette that he was going to be the guy this year, and he said he was up to the challenge. Uh, but behind him, uh, I am a little bit worried. When Chase Edmonds going down, he's out now four to six weeks um, with the strain. You got a you got a rookie behind him. Um, you got Keyshawn Vaughn, who another guy that they drafted. He's the number two guy. Uh, he was the number three guy last year uh, behind um, the current running back situation. So I, I, I am. I'm a little bit worried. I think they're a little bit them. I they did go in and make a bid for Cam Akers. Um, I don't know what they offer, but. Looks, they got Cam, you know, the Vikings basically got Cam Akers for a box of cookies. It was, what did they give up? You, I saw that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that, that to me said that the, the Rams were ready to deal, and this is Cam Akers' home state. So uh, I thought that he would have made a good fit here, and uh, his experience would have been a perfect uh, one-two punch with Rashad White. So, yeah, I'm a little concerned um, with the depth at, at running back position um, because Keyshawn Vaughn's going to play a much bigger role. He's been the three um, behind Chase Edmonds, but now that Edmonds is gone, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn's going to have to step up. And after and yeah. behind that offensive line, which is a was a huge question mark to start the year, because you have guys like Tristan Morris moved over. He was a left tackle. Yes, last year he he moved over to the right tackle position. Uh, Jensen out for the year. So Nick Haynes, he's playing center again this year. He filled. He was the one who played for uh, center last year. When Ryan Jensen went out, um, so yeah, it, it's it's a it's not it's a it's an offensive line that has a lot of questions, but it's an offensive line through the first two games that has let Baker Mayfield play traffic free, and you can see what Baker does because Baker can run the football. Um, Baker moves around in the pocket. He's not Tom Brady. He doesn't need he doesn't need that nice quiet pocket. Um, Baker likes a little chaos. That's the way he plays. So I think the offensive line has a lot to do with it as well. Let's talk about the other side of the ball, though, for the Bucks. Are they? Do you think they're one of the five top five defensive units in the league? Uh, through two games, they've had three interceptions, two fumble recoveries, eight sacks, and one even defensive touchdown. Would you say they're actually one of the like, one of the most underrated defenses in the league right now? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And going into this season, Jared, that was the strongest part of the team. To be honest with you, outside of uh, the offense, but you didn't know how Baker was going to fit into the offense and how well Baker was going to play because you've seen good Baker and you've seen Baker who can blow up. So the defense was the part going into the season that a lot of people said, hey, if the Bucks go to the playoffs, it's because the defense is going to win football games for them and the offense is going to do just enough 
to keep them in games. But that hasn't been the case. This team has been all around. Um, they're scoring points, and the defense is playing lights out. You get deep, you're getting defensive touchdowns. That that play that Shaq Barrett made to basically put away the game last week was one of the best defensive plays I've seen all year. If you've seen the replays on that, the fact that he had to reach back to make the interception one-handed, gather it in while on the run, and then score in traffic, and, and it was just an amazing play. Uh, but with Shaq Barrett and Devin White, and remember Todd Bowles, that's his strength. Uh, as the defensive coordinator, and he's calling the defensive plays from the sideline. And right now, everything's clicking. And the secondary's been really good. Um, they had some some nicks in camp with Carlton Davis. Uh, but uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, is, is a really good player. So I think right now, they're a top five defense in the in National Football League. And they are definitely the most underrated defense in the NFL. And they're playing really well right now. Yeah, no, I've been very impressed by the Tampa, uh, yeah, by the Bucks defense. I think they've, def- I think they're definitely a top five defense from what I've seen so far, anyhow. And um, I think a lot of people would also agree, but not really being talked about too much. I mean, you keep hearing about 49ers, obviously. You know, Dallas's defense is getting a lot of recognition, but I think Tampa Bay is definitely should be in that conversation as well as one of the top three, especially top five defenses in the league. Let's move on to the, to the Rays. Um, Rays definitely going to the playoffs. They clinched the playoff spot, like we said in the beginning, beginning of the interview. Might even clinch the division. Uh, two and a half games currently behind the Orioles. Um, let's talk about the Rays, though. They had a historic start to the season. Um, but then they kind of fanned out a little bit. That What they did in the beginning of the season was obviously really hard to keep up. That was not really sustainable to keep going that entire year at that pace, obviously. But... What what are the – I'll kind of start with a general question, a broad question, and then we'll, we'll get more specific as we go on. But what what is the playoff outlook for the Rays going forward? Are we pretty confident that they're going to make a deep playoff run, or are there major concerns in their lineup that uh, have the fans kind of uh, worried about, you know, October coming up? Uh, to, I think I think they they can make a deep run in the playoffs, no question. And they're built for it. Their offense has been great all year. Uh, and that lineup's been solid. There's been guys that are having just phenomenal years, you know, right at the top, even Yandy Diaz made the all-star team this year. He's, he's the best leadoff hitter in baseball. Um, one of the leading uh, hitters for average in all of baseball. So uh, they've, they're getting power from places uh, that when they plugged in guys like uh, Josh Lowe and Luke Rayley, um, guys that had delivered with 20 plus home runs this year. So uh, they're getting the offensive production and, you know, from guys that they hoped they would. And then you add guys in that they expected, like your Randy or Rosarinas, your Brandon Lyles, um, your guys like that. Uh, even Jose Sirius is surprised with 25 home runs this year. Isak Paredes, uh, he's gone over to the 90 RBI mark last night. Uh, another guy that they did not expect 90 RBIs out of Isak Paredes. Again, 25 home runs for him. He's got a career high. So there's guys like that offensively that are helping him click. My issues with the team are uh, on the pitching side of the ball because there's been so many injuries. Tyler Glass now has been great. The last start was not good. Um, that was his worst start the last six or seven. Uh, he was kind of clicking at a, at a Cy Young pace since he's come back. His last nine or ten starts were pretty good going into the last one. But I think the offensive depth uh, – or excuse me, the starting pitching depth going into the postseason is the thing that concerns me the most only because you know when you get into the postseason um, – those are short series, so your starting staff shortens up. 
you're going to top two guys uh, with a third guy ready to go. Do they have a top two guys? Yes, they have top two guys right now. But that third one, Aaron Savale, he pitched last night, really scares me. Taj Bradley's pitched really well. Um, he would be, he'll turn into your long inning guy in the postseason. But so your, your top two guys are, are really solid. Zach Eflin's been amazing, no question about it. Uh, Eflin and Tyler Glasnow, great one-two punch going into the playoffs. So I'm not really worried about them. And then if you look at the landscape of the teams that they could potentially go up against, uh, they'll get the winner of the Twins and the Astros. Um, the Rays obviously know the Astros very well. They've About five years in a row, the Rays now have been in the postseason. They've met the Astros, I think, in three or four of them. So they, they know the Astros well. They know what the Astros bring to the table. Um, Baltimore's in their division. Um, and Baltimore's kind of a wild card because if you look at the way they're built, they're built like the Rays. They went through um, they went through the minor league system. They brought up their young guys. Um, they didn't spend a lot of money. They got a low payroll, just like the Rays did. And um, those guys are having great years, just like the Rays did when they came out of nowhere, basically five years ago. So, but I, you know, they're young. In, in the postseason, it's a whole new beast. You 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 play the game a lot differently. I know it's the same game, but played completely differently uh, when when the games were lying on every pitch and every at bat. Um, so I like, um, how they stack up in the postseason, Jared. I think they can make a deep run. I think they're the team to beat, to be honest. They don't need to win the division. It would be nice to have the bye. But I think if you, if those, the rest of the teams that are in there, the team that is, that is most ready for the postseason from the bullpen, um, to the starting lineup would be the Rays. Do you think a buy is a good thing for teams? And you're not. This is kind of a general baseball question, not really about the Tampa Bay, not not about the Rays specifically. But do you think a buy is a good thing in baseball? We see a lot of times teams get kind of rusty when they have that buy. Do you almost prefer them not to get that divisional lead or divisional win and kind of have to play that first round and not get rusty, especially on the offensive side with the hitting? No, great question to debate because I don't think it's a good thing. The Rays got knocked out the when they had the buy. Guardians knocked them out in the first round last year. Rays had the bye. Um, the other the, the year before when they had the bye, knocked out by the Red Sox, first round. Uh, no, terrible. I, I can't stand it. Uh, you're, uh, and and I talked to the, I've talked to guys on the team about it, um, and they would prefer to play because there's there's a difference between simulating at bats in the postseason and then sticking around in your home park and having batting practice, waiting to see who you're going to play. It's not the same. Um, the pitchers don't feel that way. Uh, definitely the hitters don't feel that way. Um, so it, I would prefer to keep playing because those series going into the, the long series are short at the beginning. So a lot of pressure to win, but it's a good way to ramp yourself into uh, the longer series. Yeah, that's a, let's keep that debate going a little bit. So you, the Rays, the, the you know, past couple of years have had bad luck when they've had that first round bye in the playoffs. Do you think they're almost trying to avoid that on purpose? <laughs> it might. I mean, it's kind of a funny question, right? right? But if they've had that bad luck in the past, maybe it's something that they don't really want. Maybe they don't, they don't want that uh, first round bye. Yeah, well, it's, it, you know, you can almost book it that they're not going to get it. Uh, two and a half games behind the Orioles, but the, the Orioles have two games in hand. So nine games left. Rays, even if the Rays went eight and one, nine and zero, oh, um, the Orioles with eleven games left, you know, it, it's going to be tough to catch. I mean, the Orioles, if they, I think their magic number is like seven or eight or something like that. But um, I, I, I don't see them winning the division. Um, I think 
in the next couple of days, I, I would be surprised if they don't go into uh, preparation mode, um, which means you'll go down to the minors, you'll grab a couple guys to get a couple spot starts. Obviously, um, rosters expand. Um, so uh, I, I expect them to go into that uh, preparation mode, rest some guys, rest some guys um, because they, you got Toronto this weekend. Uh, Toronto needs to win. They're coming into town after they finish up today. They have a game against the Angels this afternoon, and then they finish up with Toronto this weekend. That's the end of their homestand. Then they go on the road for the Red Sox in Toronto to finish the year. But Toronto's still in this thing. Yeah, they're them and the they they and the Astros are neck and neck. So expecting big things from them. Eflin pitches today, uh, which is Thursday. He pitches today. Uh, fully expect um, the, them to win today with him. So um, I, I think uh, the players would prefer to keep playing. Uh, but I think the Rays will start to go into some preparation mode within the next couple of days. Not that they're giving up on the division, but they're also – got a lot of guys who've played a lot of post and postseason games that are on that Rays roster um, over the last five years. So they know what they know how to get ready, and that's the cool thing. They know how to get ready. They know what to expect, um, and I think the only other team you can say that about that would potentially make the wild card uh, would be Houston. The only other team uh, potentially that knows how to get ready, um, what they're in for. The other two teams, or the other three teams, um, it, they're like happy to be there, and if they, if they win, that's great. <laughs> yeah, Orioles don't. I'm looking at their schedule now. They don't have a juggernaut of a schedule coming up either uh cleveland uh they play and then they play washington for two games and then they finish out with boston so yeah like you said it's going to be very hard to catch up with the orioles and i wouldn't be surprised either if they go into kind of like a preparation mode like you were just alluding to let's go to the bullpen though we all know to make a deep playoff run in baseball you need to have a good bullpen i know you kind of already were talking about it a little bit briefly with the team how is the bullpen looking? How confident are the, fan, are the fans in the bullpen? How confident is even the team in the bullpen that, or, you know, are they, are they deep enough to make a, a good play, a, a deep playoff run? Like, is the bullpen have enough guys in it? Are they deep enough to, to really, you know, make a, make a run in the playoffs? Or are they going to kind of, or is there worry that they're going to fan out, uh, you know, after the first, first round or so? Yeah. That, and, and I think they're, I think the bullpen's, um, good enough to help them make a deep run in the playoff. Uh, the back end, obviously, uh, Pistol Pete, uh, he's the man in, in the back end. Um, and he has been solid uh, down the stretch. Pete Fairbanks I'm talking about. Uh, guy that throws straight gas, over 100 miles an hour, um, has a variety of pitches. Uh, he's, your, he's your closer. Um, Robert Stevenson, uh, who's been really, really good. Um, he's your seventh, eighth inning guy. Um, Erasmo Ramirez was a guy they brought in. Uh, he's been good. Uh, so I think there are guys on this, in, in this bullpen. Uh, and then again, as we mentioned, Jared, uh, relievers, um, you get starters that become relievers in series. So you got guys, your bullpen gets stronger in the postseason because you shorten up your starting pitching. Like I said, you're going to have glass now and Eflin definitely as your starters, but then you'll get Savali in the bullpen You'll get Tosh Bradley in the bullpen. So you'll get two more starters in the bullpen to add to the guys um, like the Pete Fairbanks, like the Robert Stevensons. Um, Jalen Beach pitched last night. Um, uh, so there's there are a lot of pieces that will be added to that bullpen for the postseason. And, hey, the Rays are the team that invented 
the reliever that starts, you know, that all the baseball starts to mimic now. So I think they're pretty well set for for the postseason. I, I expect that that bullpen to be pretty solid. What are the concerns for the injuries, though, for the pitching staff this year? I mean, they've had this pitching staff been through the runner this year as far as injuries go. Uh, you know, we've had you've had Jeffrey Springs out, uh, Drew Rasmussen, excuse me, uh, Shane McLaren, uh, Garrett Klebinger, Shane Baz. They've all missed time this year with pitching injuries. Is there a concern that these kind of might re-aggravate in the playoffs and, uh, you know, hurt their chances uh, down the line? Yeah, and those are huge names that you mentioned, too, especially McClanahan. I mean, that, that guy started the All-Star game last year, you know, as a Cy Young guy. Um, he, he's not going to pitch again until it looks like 2025. If this stays, uh, Shane Boz was a guy that the Rays drafted. He was one of their top prospects and did pitch in the postseason in the world series. He pitched, um, against the Dodgers. So, um, what they've done is it's just amazing. It, you could make a case for Kevin Cash to be, the manager of the year for the third year in a row. I, I know that the Baltimore's and Orioles are the easy choice because they're going to win the division. They've won over 90 games. It's a young staff, um, and they've kind of come out of nowhere, uh, almost you know last to first type of deal. But nobody's had to do more with, with less than Kevin Cash. He has continued to plug and play. They've continued to draw guys from the minors. And don't forget, Wander Franco's out, uh, so he's not playing. So you got there's there's the number one prospect in all of baseball uh, who's not playing at all. And they have done a shortstop by committee. So you got your Taylor Walls who's been in there. Um, you got Oslavis Basabi who's been playing shortstop. Um, nobody plugs and plays guys, I think, better than Kevin Cash does. And that's the one thing that the Rays are built for. Guys play multiple, multiple positions. And that's the big thing in baseball now. You see. Uh, a lot of in, a lot of guys that play the infield can play the outfield, and you can talk to anybody who plays in Major League Baseball. You're not going to have a long career if you don't play multiple positions. Gone are the days where one guy plays first base. That's it. You're first baseman. That's it. Oh, may, yeah, maybe I maybe I DH a little bit. Now uh, you're going to have a short career, buddy. Uh, these guys these guys play first the entire. They play all the outfield. They'll play first base. They'll play third base. Whatever it is. Um, and I think the Rays do that really, really well. And you need guys like that, especially in the postseason, because depending on the matchups, depending on whether you're up a game, down a game, um, you got to manage according to the moment. And I think Kevin Cash does a really good job at that. Is there any indication of Wander, Wander Franco coming back uh, ever? Not even just the Rays, but just baseball in general. Or see after these allegations of him back in the Dominican Republic with underage girls? Um, any, any chance of him coming back, or do you think his career is pretty much over? That's a great question, uh, because the Dominican Republic is doing their own investigation, not just Major League Baseball. So you have two investigations going on at the same time. Um, so Major League Baseball is kind of right now kind of a little bit in a holding pattern, waiting to see what the investigation out of the Dominican uh, comes out. Um, and you hear conflicting reports, but the, the Dominican has their own people uh, working on the case. And things have been a little bit quiet. Um, over the last month, which is kind of, I don't know how to take that. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, okay, let's say he gets cleared. Man, what he was accused of or is accused of right now um, kind of sticks with you, whether you're innocent or guilty. 
uh, how do you come back from something like that? Uh, how does that affect the player, uh, let alone um, the organization? So, right, in the organization is mum. They're quiet. They're backed off, and, and as they should be, because they don't know what they're backing right now. They don't know whether they're dealing with a, a guilty person or whether they're backing a guy who is completely innocent on things that were trumped up by women who were looking for money. We don't know. Uh, so the Rays are doing the right thing. Uh, all, I can tell you this, uh, living about five minutes from the ballpark, uh, everything Wander Franco is gone. It, it's all taken down, everything, uh, from the posters on the interstate to uh, the big faces on the outside of the trop, gone. There, there's, it's like Wander Franco is never on the team, which is the way it has to be. They don't sell his stuff in the shop, uh, all that stuff. So they have separated themselves and distance themselves from that Wander Franco situation, which is the right thing to do. So whether or not he comes back and plays baseball again, I don't know. But it looks like both sides are doing their due diligence in this investigation. Yeah, it's a, it's a shameful situation, but I guess time will tell. We'll see what happens uh, at the end of the day. Mike, this has been awesome. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, just a very simple, uh, straightforward, you know, we can kind of breeze by this real quickly, but a uh, new ballpark coming up in 2028. You just mentioned you live very close to the ballpark. Uh, it's going to be on the same grounds, though, uh, I, if I'm corrected, if, which if, if I'm correct in saying that, it's going to be on the same grounds as the ballpark is now. Don't really see that uh, super often. A lot of the times <laughs> when a new stadium is built, it's built somewhere else. You know, some even if it's down the road, you know, half a mile down the road, it's still somewhere else. But it's, it's interesting to see it's going to be built on the same grounds. Uh what was the reason for the new ballpark? Was it just outdated? Needed to be, you know, were there safety issues? What, what was the, what, what's the point of the new ballpark coming up in, a, in a, about six years here? Or yeah, extremely outdated, Jared. Um, they they call the ballpark the old gray lady, uh, so often referred to and made fun of. But an extremely old ballpark. Um, just it was time. It, it definitely it's uh, constantly by baseball players voted as the worst ballpark in the majors uh, teams hate to come there and play the Rays use that to your advantage um, because balls take goofy bounces it gets lost up um, among the catwalks and things um, so people just don't like it they don't like the, the the sight lines or anything the fans love it because uh, it becomes a great home field advantage obviously as it should be for the Rays but what they're gonna do is they're gonna build right on right in the parking lot of the trop. So they're going to start building almost right next to the stadium. They're going to build where the parking lot is now, and they're going to build a parking infrastructure first so that teams can, so that uh, fans can park in the parking garages while they're building the stadium. Hmm. What, so they can go watch games at the old stadium because they're going to play there through their lease in 2027. So, um, but according to phase one, and there's two phases to this project, uh, it's going to be ready by opening day 2028. But, 1.3 billion. I think the bigger question will be down the line. Will Stu Sternberg be the opener or be the owner of this team um, when the new ballpark opens in 2028? And that I think is the bigger question uh, uh, that everybody's wondering. Uh, my opinion, I don't think so. I, I think the I think he's primed to sell the team, um, and I think he's going to get them through everything that they have to get through because he promised. That the ballpark built here, it's going to be built here. They still got to sign off on it. There's a couple other things that have to be done uh, from the community standpoint. Uh, but, you know, 
they got the green light and uh, they'll be breaking ground pretty soon. Is it going to have, is it, so it'll still be Tropicana then? That's no, uh, they've actually, yeah, they've actually that. talked about that. Um, great, great question. Um, I, I can see them renaming it too. They're, and it was funny because I was looking at, I was watching, uh, looking at social media uh, the other day and there was a, uh, I think there, even the Rays put it out. Um, like, what would you, what would you want to call the field? If, if, because the Rays do have a lot of big, you know, like Publix, um, a supermarket here, huge chain in Florida, uh, is a, uh, a huge donor for the Rays. Um, Dex, which is a big copying source and in, in, uh, was actually a, one of the guys that was that was potentially people thought the guy that owned that it's in Tampa um, would be a guy that would be a candidate to own the race. So there's a, like, there's fields like there, you know, uh, there's fields with public's name on it. There's fields with Dex name on it. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things in play. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it changes names. It, let's just put it that way. I get a kind of a fresh start with a brand new stadium um, with a brand new feel. Um, I could, I could see it change names for sure. Yeah, that's um, that's an iconic name, Tropicana. Though <laughs> I, I don't know, I I think, the, I don't know, maybe the local fans would want to see it change, but I think a lot of the national fans would want it to stay Tropicana because Tropicana, obviously, with Tampa Bay and Florida, just resonates so popularly. <laughs> it's just it's such such a fitting name for the stadium. Weather's kind of crazy though in Florida. Is there going to be any kind of roofing or any anything like that, or is it going to be an open open air that, that you know of? No, it's a dome. Um, it'll be a dome. The only the only thing um, uh, that they were talking about yesterday, um, uh, the team president was talking about. They're going to have the ability to open up windows in the in the trop during games so that you can feel the fresh breeze. Uh, and in Florida, there's not a lot of great months to do that in because obviously the season starts now at the end of March. So March, April and May would be the candidates. But once we once we start to get into deep May, it starts to get super hot here. Uh, my wife likes to call the summers the, the winters, because when you think about the winters in the northeast, you stay in the house and in the summers here, you stay in the house. I mean, it, it, it's our winter, so to speak, as goes from, you know, the end of May all the way through the end of September. So. Um, but Matt Silverman, uh, the team president did mention that, uh, there'll be some windows that are in the design. So they're able to open the windows so fans can actually feel the breeze breeze going on, uh, from outside during those really nice months that the season starts in that, and that'll be pretty cool. And there's going to be more windows than ever before, um, to give it that kind of that round feel. Um, so you can see everything. Um, and that's going to be cool too, because right now you can't see anything. It's, it's cement all the way around. It's, it's. Um, in a lot of ways, like you're in a bomb shelter, you know, you get in there and, oh, there's a roof and the rest is cement. There's not, it's not pretty to look at for sure. Um, but this new design is going to be very open air, um, with a dome and the ability to open up windows to make it feel, um, like there's a roof that's open, but there's not. And it, it'll be a com very comfortable 72 degrees, uh, which most baseball fans will in July in August appreciate. Especially the ones traveling. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, this has been all, I mean, amazing. I love loved your time. Really appreciate your time uh, talking some bucks and raise with you. We'll definitely have to be doing this again. Okay. Jared, anytime. I'm, I'm, thank you so much for having me. It, uh, it's been a pleasure. Anytime you need me, uh, you know how to get a hold of me. All right. Mike, uh, Mike Karens, uh, Spectrum Sports 360 in Florida. Mo mostly uh, Tampa Bay, right? You, co you cover personally, but Spectrum Sports is 
all over uh, all, all over the state of Florida. You guys do do amazing work. So definitely have to check you out. People have to check you out. Okay? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we got it all going on. A lot of big college football going on right now. Uh, Florida State's playing extremely well. Everybody's jacked for Florida State. Uh, UCF's getting ready to for the big, first Big 12 game on Saturday. A lot of people are excited about that. And then USF dealing with their first-year head coach, just coming off an impressive game against Alabama. Uh, they get ready for big, uh, their conference opener against Rice on Saturday. So there's a lot. College football's king here in Florida. I'm not going to lie. As much as we have all of our professional teams, uh, people love their bucks and rays and lightning. I was at the lightning yesterday for media day, and today is the first day of training camp. So the lightning are underway, and, uh, you know, it, it, the, the core group of the lightning are, are back in there, so they fully expect to make another deep run to the Stanley Cup after last year's first round exit. So a lot of people are excited because the last time the Lightning got knocked out in the first round, they went to three straight Stanley Cups. <laughs> not not a bad omen. Yeah, preseason uh, 25th. What is that? I mean, that's that is yeah, uh, five days, days away, now, four days away. What's Monday? Yeah. Monday night preseason hockey. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. They don't they really don't get an off season, especially the teams that that go far. They don't no. they really don't get an off season. That's crazy because this, it's, it's funny you say that because with them, with the Lightning going to three straight cups, this past summer was the longest off season they've had in three years. Three years. The longest off season. Yeah. So I fully expect them to be really good this year with the longest rest that they've ever had. They had such a long rest that at, uh, for development camp this year, that's when the rookies come in. The main core of veterans came into developmental camp. That has not happened the last three years. And I'm talking Victor Hedman, uh, Kucherov, Stamkos, Point. Um, the studs on the team came into developmental camp so they could skate to get ready for the season. That's how chomping at the bit they are for this next season to start. I think that's a pretty good sign. Well, I kept you a little bit long, Mike. Any any last minute thoughts on the on the lightning you want to say before we head out I mean, yeah i about coming yeah up. i mean I, i'm you know is you know as a guy that um i'm a huge nhl guy as well i mean as much as i cover as what i cover everything here um but obviously i travel with the lightning in the playoffs and, and so on and so forth much like i do with the rays uh they're they are primed with the, they their core is coming back and that's what people have to remember uh and the conference has gotten stronger and harder with teams like the Rangers having a great year, uh, the Florida Panthers, Carolina, um, all of them had great years last year. And those are the teams that the Lightning have to jump if they want to win the conference. Winning the Eastern Conference is going to be a beast again this year. But uh, Andre Vasilevsky comes back rested. And he was saying yesterday, he was telling us, um, we were asking him, hey, are you going to are you gonna do a better job of taking days off? Because Vasi does not like to take days off he'll play back to back to back and he even mentioned he goes yeah i think i overdid it last year um that's one of the things i'm going to do this year i'm going to learn to um take days off and and take care of my body uh and get myself ready for the postseason and julian brisebois was telling us the team gm yesterday hey we got to bank points early we got to get we got off to a great start bank a ton of points uh, get a bunch of pad going. So later in the year, we're not worried about, oh, gosh, we got three or four points to make before we get to this spot or this spot. And then there's the Stamkos contract, which yesterday he told us he was unhappy with the fact that they haven't come to him and, and, and done anything. And he said last year at the end of the season he wanted to get something done uh, before training camp started. And Steven Stamkos never talks about things like that in public. So I was shocked 
when I'm standing there yesterday and he's saying he's unhappy, uh, they haven't done anything. I was like, wow, that stammer does not talk about contracts in public like that. So yeah, there's a little drama going in, but at the same time, definitely going to be one of the teams to beat in the Eastern conference. But overall, uh, hasn't changed much the roster from last year. There's some uh, the the cores together um, lost. The key loss was Alex Kalorn. Uh, Kalorn been with the team. Yeah. Um, uh, he was one of the uh, guys that been with the team for ten years. Uh, huge third fourth line guy. Uh, huge in the locker room. Uh, he'll be missed the most. Number one that that will be the guy that'll be missed more than anybody. Uh, but as far as when you bring back your front two lines. And you bring back, uh, you know, arguably um, the best player in hockey or one of, and Nikita Kucherov. Uh, you you've got a chance to go far with Kucherov, uh, Stammer, Braden Point, Andre Vasilevsky, Victor Hedman. Um, they've got a core of about eight to ten guys that they've had for, you know, through the cup runs. So, and then you add some guys like Connor Sherry who won a couple of cups. Uh, who comes in this year. And a uh, big reason why Tampa is such a great destination for NHL guys, because they know what the Lightning bring to the table. They know how competitive they're going to be. They know they have a chance to go deep every year. A lot of guys like to end their NHL careers here because they know uh, the Lightning are always going to be a team that's always going to be in contention. So um, but with that core, Jared, I think they're, they have a chance to go deep again this year. Tampa in general must be a really nice uh, free agent spot for a lot of players. Any any sport, I mean, Bucks, Rays, uh, you know, Lightning. It's because it's the weather is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hot in the summer, of course, right. but right in the bay there, the winters, especially like you know us talking about the Lightning now. You know, when their season is, it's amazing weather. So yeah, I don't I don't blame <laughs> players for wanting to end their season there, especially as they get closer to retirement, you know? Yeah. It, well, I mean, it, for the NHL players, cause you think most players are from Canada or, or like Sweden or, or cold weather countries. Uh, so in Braden point mentioned it yesterday, he goes, yeah, one of the reasons why I came in early, um, I got to come from, you know, Canada and come here. Um, who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to come to Tampa early yeah. for work? Doesn't work so much with baseball. Uh, because of the Rays and their salary cap situation. They, you're not going to see the Rays go bid for an Aaron Judge if you ever hit the market or a Shohei Otani or um, a Mike Trout. They're not going to do that. That's that's not how they're built. Um, that would just – they would be – if they ever did something like that, there's a chance that they would be terrible for years because they'd go against their own structure. But NHL and NFL, for sure, the, the Bucks and the Lightning have um, – I mean, well, the reason is Tom Brady – got here not only because he was good friends with Jason Light but the fact that Tom Brady had had places in Miami um and you know now he had places in Miami and Tampa so you see have his kids grow up in a warm weather state and uh, most players feel that way in spring training you know who doesn't like to come down here for spring training and that's where a lot of teams do uh and they get I think that's what it is you know a lot of major league baseball teams especially get here for spring training and they're like wow this is so nice to be here in spring training in February when the weather's like 75 degrees, it's just like absolutely perfect. And you're thinking, man, I could see myself playing <laughs> outdoors there. I don't want to leave. Um, so yeah, that it's a, for sure. Uh, it, it's a, it's a destination for a lot of players and a lot of the sports. All right, Mike, like I said, this has been amazing. I really appreciate your time and we'll definitely be having you on again soon. Talking some, uh, Tampa Bay sports. Especially maybe the lightning, maybe when the NFL com- or NHL comes back, excuse me, we'll have you on again, uh, especially like maybe, you know, halfway through the season, see how they're doing. 
hopefully a hundred point hundred point win a uh, hundred point season i mean for the for the lightning coming up hopefully they just just missed it last year 98 points uh but hopefully uh this is the year they'll they'll get to 100 and be able to compete in that Eastern Conference. Yeah, as, as long as you don't win the President's Cup, I think you're in good shape because whoever wins the President's Cup yes. seems to be the team cursed. that gets, yes, <laughs> you're yes. cursed. So don't win the President's oh, Cup. Yes, I believe. Get the 100-point mark. Um, get the, get a top seed. And uh, I think all is well. So, yeah, th- those are the goals. Win, win the conference, get the top seed. Could care, care less about the President's Cup. Um, put yourself in a position to uh, for a deep run in the, in the postseason. And we'll see how things shake out. There's uh, a lot of question marks. We just don't know when they – when they hit the ice, they'll be good to go. Um, just definitely be the, one of the teams to beat. But, uh, you know, you know, barring any serious injuries or any crazy things like that, uh, uh, we'll meet up again halfway through the season, quarter pole of the season, whenever you want. And uh, we'll check in on yeah, Lightning. Looking and forward to it. Staying into the postseason. We'll see how the Rays, things stack up in the postseason uh, coming up as well. So you, you know how to get a hold of me. I had, yep. a, I had a lot of fun today. Awesome. Yeah, Mike, we did too. I really appreciate your time and we'll definitely be doing this again sometime, okay? You got it. Thanks for having me, Jared. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers. The Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports, they love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple of drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Okay, guys, let's finish up the show. Justin, who's your maker of the week? My maker of the week is Browns running back Jeremy Ford. Stepping in after Nick Chubb's tragic injury, he had 106 yards on 16 attempts. Looks like the Browns have a good running back and a good a solid number two, unfortunately. Well, just number one now that Nick Chubb is out. But Jerome Ford seems to be a good replacement so far for Nick Chubb as he stepped into the to the Steelers game and performed well. Yeah, 106 yards for 16 carry, yep. on a, And a touchdown on Monday night. Uh, helped, helped the Browns at least stay uh, in the game at, uh, with the Steelers. My uh, maker of the week, talked to him a lot already, talked about him a lot already. B. John Robinson, um, already pretty much a law for rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. He's been amazing so far. Uh, he's averaging close to seven yards a carry. He's dynamic on every single play that he runs. Uh, he basically blew by the Packers, was the main reason that they beat the Packers uh, last weekend. Atlanta has a run now, a run first mentality. They're, they're, they, they pretty much, it looks like they run the ball on first down every single time. That gives him so many touches. Algier uh, takes a lot of snaps away from Bijan, so Bijan can remain fresh, stay off injury, you know, keep his momentum going. We're going to be talking about Bijan Robinson for a long time, already looking so explosive, and uh, I'm excited to keep seeing him play and see what Atlanta can really continue doing. They're, they've been a really sneaky team, as we, we've kind of been saying so far. Uh, already two and zero. Not many people expected that, and they might actually be the one of the best teams in the NFC South. Uh, Zach, who's your maker of the week? My maker of the week is T.J. Watt. Let's go back to the Brown Steelers game. All-time leading sack man in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he did it in significant. <clears throat> excuse me, significantly less time than James Harrison did. Just passed him eighty and a half sacks. T.J. Watt. 
now with 81 career sacks, best defensive lineman, I think, in the NFL, set the uh, or tied the single season record just a couple of years ago with 22 and a half sacks. And he might be on his way to doing it again this year and, of course, scored the winning touchdown on Monday night as well. So pretty big night for T.J. Watt. And I don't know if he's better than J.J., but I think we can start having that conversation pretty soon. Yeah, I was amazed when I saw that he was the sack leader for the Steelers. I, you, I mean, just like you said, Zach, being the Steelers, you would think they would have uh, – that would be a, a big competition to, to go up against. I know the speed is a lot different in the NFL now, which, which obviously helps with pass rushers, but – I think it was like, what, 80 and a half, I think, was the record he broke? Yeah, I think it was 80 and a half. Yep, James Harrison had it with 80 and a half. Faker of the week. Let's move on. Uh, TJ did it in about 40 less games. Wow. wow. Yeah, speed is, like I said, speed is so different now. Um, Mm -hmm. Justin, let's move on to the Faker of the week. Who's your Faker of the week? Back to the Browns-Steelers game. Another running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Najee Harris. Not having the same year that he did the that the previous two years, he was he was almost the rookie of the year in 2021, but this year he's fell on, he's fallen off from that so far. Only 10 carries for 43 yards. Even Jalen Warren for the Pittsburgh Steelers ran better, and they they may need to use him more as Najee Harris is starting to slip on his uh, on his game there. Yeah, definitely. My faker, uh, going back to uh, Monday Night Football earlier in the show, the, the, the recap, Bryce Young, we've already said it. He's been a major disappointment. I'm very disappointed in Bryce Young. I didn't have a whole lot of hope for him uh, when they when they drafted him. I know it's still very early, by the way. It's only two weeks in. But after two weeks, um, 16.9 QBR. It's actually the worst QBR in the league out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL yeah, that's a that's a that's a rough that's a rough stat line. You don't want to be the have the worst QBR in the league um, after after week two when you were the number one pick. I know Panthers not a great team that you know with their offensive line is terrible. That definitely does not help him at all. But Anthony Richardson, he's been able to play pretty well. C.J. Stroud has been playing really really well for the Texans, and they they're not the best teams either, and they still been being able to get it done. So. Bryce Strong has to play better. He's he's my faker of the week so far. Well, faker of, the, of this week and needs to really needs to play better as the season progresses. Zach, who's your faker of the week? Faker of the week is Brandon Staley. This guy still has a head coaching job, but I don't think it's going to be for much longer. When you look at what's happened the last couple of years, the Chargers have way too much talent to be in the position they're at. Right now, Justin Herbert's an elite quarterback. You've got a great receiver core, great running back room with Austin Eckler. And his decision-making, I mentioned it the other day, this is a guy when he came into the league, analytically, he was very high up as far as going for it on fourth down, taking a lot of chances, and now he's the complete opposite. Like, he's punting in situations he should be going for. He's not nearly being aggressive enough. He's changed his style, and it's just not working. And I think Brandon Staley's going to be gone after this year. They've started 0-2, and things aren't going to get easier because guess what? They haven't played the Chiefs yet. They haven't played some of the top-level teams. They haven't played the Bills yet. They haven't played the Bengals yet. It's not going to get pretty for the Chargers. And if it doesn't, Brandon Staley's going to be out of a job. Well, we said it last episode, too. Even It might even be middle of the season he gets fired, especially if the Chargers keep on this path. I don't know who they would, who they would get to replace him. I don't even know who's really out there on the coaching carousel. But, yeah, Brandon Staley has, has been another major disappointment so far in the league. Uh, 
Great show, guys. Yeah. Uh, next week or on Saturday, I mean, we're going to have on Mike Berman talking uh, talking some Cleveland sports, Browns. Uh, good week one. Very, very bad Monday night football. Cavaliers. He has a lot to say about the Cavaliers, too, uh, in the offseason as an NBA kind of uh, picks up here in less than a month. So great interview with him Saturday. Uh, but until then, yeah, we'll, we'll do this all again in a couple of days. And just until then, keep on uh, traveling.